Yo, this is the L-Train, and the Bigfoot Pro Wrestling Podcast is throwing its hat in the ring. No, not to wrestle, but we will be one of the many sponsors. At the Northwest Showcase on Saturday, February 27th in Post Falls, Idaho. Bell time, 8 p.m. It's going to take place at Cruiser's Bar and Grill. And, uh, dude, live in person. Or you can watch this show on Twitch, Facebook Live, or supportallprowrestling.com. The tickets in person... They're going for $10 if you want to rent your chair and sit around the ring area or $5 in the bleacher area. If you want to watch it online on all those uh, places I said, $2.99. So this is a great value. From what I understand, they're going to be doing social distancing. They're going to be wiping things down, disinfecting things, you know, the way everyone's doing everything right now, the way you need to do it. So uh, don't worry about that kind of stuff. And just, uh, you know, if you want to check it out, support it online or uh, grab your tickets Run up there or run over there and uh, check it out. Let's chat up some of this uh, talent and the matches that we're going to see. Cole Crazy makes his return to the ring, and he's going to take on the one and only Rook Kelly. Sue Young appearing, and she's going to take on Kikyo. Four minutes of heat taking on two in the pink, which is Zicky Dice and Effie. Two monsters collide. Caden Cassidy versus Jackson Price. Trey Matthews versus Chuck Payne. Princess Death versus Larry D. Also appearing, Juicebox Kid Kendall Marie, Chase James, and more. Baby, you got to go check this out. It's going to be a great card. And, um, dude, if you'd like to have a chance to win a four-pack of front row seats, or, you know, maybe you can't travel out there, maybe you can't make it to Idaho and you want to watch online for free, I will be sending out a tweet tomorrow morning. As this podcast comes out, it is Tuesday morning, so tomorrow morning, Wednesday a.m. at 7 a.m. Pacific, I will send out an email regarding that contest. If you like and you retweet that tweet, you will be entered into a drawing. The winner will be announced at noon Pacific on Thursday. So you got uh, about uh, just over 24 hours to get into this contest and see if you can win that four-pack or if you want to win the uh, online type of thing. And uh, you'll let me know after I let you know you've won. Also, the folks over at Support All Pro Wrestling are going to help out the uh, listeners here at the Bigfoot Pro Wrestling Podcast. They've thrown us a merchandise discount code. Use BigfootPod, B-I-G-F-O-O-T-P-O-D, BigfootPod, and receive a 10% discount on all your merchandise orders, man. So check that out. Use that. Shout out to the other sponsors on this show, uh, Brothers Flooring, EG Sound and Lightning, and Spokane Party Bus, man. Follow Reactivate Professional Wrestling and support All Pro Wrestling on Facebook and Twitter. And check out supportallprowrestling.com, Northwest Showcase, February 27th, 2021. <laughs> And we're back on the Bigfoot Pro Wrestling Podcast with Podcast Guy. Wow, thanks for having me, man. Be talking to some of the fans up in the, the Pacific Northwest. Your Demi got him. Yeah. Pretty good, darling. Pretty good. Yo! We're the Boros twins. They know we like PCO to the horror show. Freaking me out, man. <laughs> Freaking me out, dude. We are leaving the station. L-Train, take us out. Hey, I'm back. This is the L-Train, and this is the Bigfoot Pro Wrestling Podcast episode number 187. And this week, I've got a tremendous guest. Uh, I was um, shocked that she agreed to be on. Um, you know, she's uh, been over in Japan this last year during the pandemic. I tried to hook this podcast up a couple times while she was there. The Things went uh, kind of weird during the pandemic for me, plus the timing, but... Uh, we uh, we worked it out. She's recently back uh, in the United States in New York City, and she is the one and only Masha Slamovic. And, uh, dude, I can't wait for you to check this out. We get into um, her return to New York City, uh, her first matches back in the United States, uh, United States uh, match at uh, GCW, Fight Forever. It was an 18-person elimination. Um, also at MPW, uh, taking on Black Widow, and then a title change at uh, G. SW. Uh, we also chat uh, her history, training, growing up, a whole bunch more. We learn a whole bunch about Masa Slamovich. And I want to thank her for uh, giving me her free time and uh, coming on and uh, telling us all her story. And uh, so, man, how's everyone doing? Uh, you know, 
How's everyone coming off this uh, snowmageddon weekend, if you will? I was, uh, I was glad it was the weekend when it hit. Didn't have to do too much, you know, just kind of chilling. And uh, what was it, about uh, 8, 10, 12 inches, depending on uh, where you were. But, uh, man, uh, me and Mrs. Clams are all right. We jumped in the uh, the vehicle on Saturday. Uh, we got the uh, 4x4 uh, Jeep uh, that uh, Mrs. Clam decided to invest in uh, about two years ago. And so we were able to cru- cruise to the store, get done there, what we needed to get done, and, uh, you know, without any issues other than some effing idiots on the street that are trying to go around in their um, up a hill in their uh, two, two-wheel drive, and then they're holding each up and holding people up instead of just getting out of the way hanging on for a second letting us get by they got to just keep pushing it and push it but that's a whole nother story about what happened that day but anything anyway everything was cool but uh dude you know i was kind of thinking back uh, i don't know if i've seen that much snow in uh quite a while i think we had a snow thing a few years ago that was pretty good uh froze for a few days um but i was thinking back to my childhood one time not really my childhood my teenage years you know in high school i had a job at taco bell I think it was, you know, and a snowstorm hit. So Taco Bell closed early. I met up with my boys, my good friends, Jerry, Jason, and, uh, you know, started walking the streets, having a good time somehow. You know, we weren't of age, but we went to the corner store, somehow scored us a um, a 40-ounce or two and kind of drank those while we were walking around, walked over to our old, uh, or to our high school at then. It's our old high school now, Evergreen High School. And then also right next door was this park with a lake, and it was called Hicks Lake. I don't know what it's called anymore. If it's, I'm sure it's still there, but uh, just kind of cruised in there, farted around, kind of uh, being stupid, young, and uh, and drunk, and just goofing around in the snow and just having a good old time uh, that you were able to do kind of back in the day. And then, um, you know, I remember going back to Jason's house to maybe just chill for the night and uh, being a little uh, buzzed up and having to, uh, you know, see his mom before we could go upstairs to where Jason's pad was upstairs and stuff. And I remember walking up the stairs kind of, you know, drunky and uh, tripped on a phone back when you had a phone with a cord, you know, and blah, 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 and kind of fell down the stairs. So I think she kind of knew something was up, but we made it by her. But anyway, that's, uh, that is what it is. But, uh, you know, I got something else I got to tell you and it's really important. And, uh, it's about, nachos baby my good friends chris and sandra over at nacho mama's food truck nacho mama's seattle.com last weekend hit them kind of hard with the snow i don't think they were able to uh do everything every day so they kind of held off the specials uh last week so they're going to have them same specials uh that we announced last week but they're going to have them this week instead and uh, dusty told them all told us all about them last week chicken bacon ranch nachos Mind your peas and carrot soup and the Spumoni brownie, man. And they got all kinds of good stuff over there. The cheeseburger uh, nachos, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff on the menu. They got the specials. They got the regular stuff. Also, check out the amazing hot sauces that uh, they uh, make. You can purchase those at the food truck as well. And uh, they're going to be this week at uh, Optimism Brewing on Capitol Hill from 5 to 8 on Thursday, February the 18th. On Friday the 19th, No Boat Brewing in Snoqualmie, 4 to 8 p.m. And then Saturday the 20th, Carn Brewing in Kenmore, 4 to 8 p.m. And then start that new week on Sunday, February the 21st, Ridgecrest Public House in Shoreline, 5 to 8 p.m. Again, you can follow them. Check out the menu. Uh, the specials, where they're going to be over at NachoMamaSeattle.com. Check them out on social media at Seattle, excuse me, at NachoMamaSCA on Twitter, at NachoMamaSeattle on Facebook and Instagram. Hashtag Nachos and Beer, the best nachos on the planet. Anyway, folks, uh, next week I'm going to speak to the one and only. The Stallions champion over at Without a Cause, Keita Murray, man. And I'm looking forward to that conversation and kind of learn a little more about him. And, uh, dude, and um, also next week to jump in and help us out with the uh, the opening, you're going to hear from the one and only A Bad Life Choice, Caden Cassidy. And we're going to talk about his match uh, at that Northwest Showcase with Jackson Price. Anyway, follow me on Twitter at BFPW Podcast. That's the Bigfoot Pro Wrestling Podcast. Listen to most of the podcast, or 
listen to all the podcasts on most podcast platforms. And then also uh, SoundCloud on the PWOM network, BigfootProWrestling.com. I'm the L-Train, and I'm leaving the station. Hey, yo, this is the L-Train. We're back for another great podcast this week, and uh, I got the one and only, uh, the Russian Dynamite, uh, Masha Slamovich. And uh, how are you doing this week, Masha? I'm doing really well. How are you? Dude, I'm doing uh, really great. I've been trying to hook this podcast up for with you uh, since you've been in Japan. Uh, it didn't really work out on my end. I always had to kind of something change something, something was going on. So uh, really appreciate you making the time for me this week. Uh, how's things going for you? Things are going pretty well. I literally just got home like earlier today from obviously, you know, being in Japan and then Coming back to America and being on the road for about two weeks, and I finally made it back home, so I'm finally just trying to unpack. And it's it's a it's a mission, man. Not gonna lie. <laughs> so, are you currently right now? Are you in North, New York City, or are you somewhere else? Yes, I am finally back in New York City now. Oh, okay, so uh, you know you were in Japan uh, for about a year straight there, right? Yeah, a little bit over a year. Yeah, so you, then uh, kind of the the pandemic stuck there. So you were you were there a little longer than planned. Was that the what, what really happened? Well, I got an offer to stay just before the pandemic, you know, destroyed everything. So we had hoped that I would stay to do more shows and training, which is obviously exactly what ended up happening. But the pandemic did throw a wrench into it. You know, but we got we got over it, and we're still trying to get over it day by day. <laughs> so yeah, you're back in the U.S. So, uh, is it a major change coming from Japan back into a place like New York City? Is there some major differences for you? You know, wrestling aside. Hell yeah! Like <laughs> in Japan, we have vending machines full of coffee, and we have like all these wide selections of straight black coffee in you know, every 7-Eleven or Lawson's or Family Mart. And, like, every rest stop I've been to, every deli I go into, like, nobody has any, like, black coffee that's on the go in a can, and I'm heartbroken, <laughs> and I need my coffee, and I'm so sad. So so you're a, a big coffee, uh, you know, uh, addict is what you're saying. Yes, I absolutely love my coffee, and the fact that I don't have my delicious Japanese coffee is really sending me. So what's the, what's the biggest difference then? You know, like, you know, uh, Japanese coffee compared to, you know, here in America, we think we're, you know, the coffee type people, right. You know, here, especially here where I'm at, right. Pacific Northwest where Starbucks came from and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, what's the difference between the coffee that you're talking about that you love and you're missing compared to what we are serving here? Uh, well, you know, obviously Starbucks and like Dunkin' Donuts, are kind of well known for their, what do you call it, frappuccinos and all that other stuff, which is basically like coffee, 2% and like 10% sugar and whipped cream and stuff. <laughs> but in Japan, they just have many, many different varieties of like just black coffee in a, what is essentially like a Coca-Cola can or something like that. And like you can just taste the bean of the coffee you can taste the actual coffee flavor and i really appreciate that i always joke around i'm like hey i'm like a coffee connoisseur now <laughs> so you basically just like that you know that kind of just black that taste i mean do you even put a little um uh cream or sugar in there or you just go straight black i really don't i just go straight black like sometimes if i'm feeling if i'm feeling like we're gonna have an exciting coffee day i'll put like splenda in it and then i'll put like coconut milk or something like that or <laughs> i'll go you know like you said to starbucks and i'll get the nitro cold brew with the sweet cream or something that'll be like an adventurous coffee day for me or you know like once a year i'll get like a frappuccino or something but usually it's just black coffee for me see that's how i am i've been that way for a long time when i was in my maybe early 20s i was more of a you know, I, I'll grab a mocha, ice mocha type of thing, but now it's all just about the uh, the black coffee. I got to get that uh, straight caffeine, you know, as soon as I can at my age. You know, I got to get that in so I can uh, fulfill my day of duties, you know what I mean? 
man, I'll have that coffee in the morning. <laughs> what people would think would be to wake me up, but it does nothing to me. And then I'll have it at night to put me right back to sleep. So, so that stuff's not hitting your veins, just waking you up. You just enjoy the taste of it then. Man, I wish it was hitting my veins. It'll hit my veins like <laughs> one out of every 1,000 cups of coffee. Like, it'll just be one of those days, and I'm like, oh, man, that coffee really hit today. But usually it's like, oh, I guess that was tasty. <laughs> so other than, you know, um, this coffee, what was, uh, what you know, before the pan outside of the pandemic, I guess I should say, because, you know, that changes things a lot. But uh, what was it about Japan that you really loved other than this coffee? Was there the cuisine, the nightlife, the culture? Uh, you know, what did you love? Well, you just named it all right there. I mean, you know, the, the culture and the nightlife are obviously, you can ask anybody who's been to Japan, everyone's enjoyed a little bit of that. You know, the nightlife is absolutely insane. It's great. The culture is very traditional and beautiful. You know, I've visited a couple of different, like, temples and stuff like that in my free time. And don't even get me started about the cuisine because the food is absolutely mind blowing over there. Well, that's, I remember reading a guy like, um, you know, Stan Hansen, who spent a lot of time in, um, in Japan back in the day, you know, in the seventies and eighties and stuff. And he would talk about going out and eating at night and people would show him at first, you know, all this ex just amazing like food, you know? And, uh, so what, what was your favorite food? You know, he said, didn't get, don't, don't let, get, don't let's not get you started, but you know. I got, I got to hear about some of this food. Man, they, so we have shabu-shabu, obviously. It's like they give you raw meat and, like, this boiling pot of water, and you basically throw it in, it boils, you catch it, and eat it. That's, like, such a classic. Then there's yakiniku, which is Korean barbecue. Usually there's, like, a bunch of all-you-can-eat places, um, so that's amazing. Sushi fresh sushi in japan everywhere and then there's ramen and you know like yeah those are like the top favorites for me oh wait and then there's uh takoyaki which is the octopus balls um so it's like octopus and it's like rolled in dough and cooked and it is like i've tried a little bit of everything in japan and i've liked pretty much everything except for natto which is fermented soybeans, and that's pretty much where I draw the line of stuff I'm not going to eat. <laughs> Sounds like some uh, really interesting stuff. Uh, what about, uh, I don't know, do you drink alcohol? Is there a certain, do you like the, you know, is there sake? Is there other type of drinks that they serve there in uh, Japan that are really wonderful? Man, the sake there is devastatingly good and devastatingly strong because... <laughs> Saki has been responsible for at least the number of social events gone wild with me in Japan. And then there's obviously Strong Zero, which you can find in any convenience store or grocery store, anything like that. It is, how would I, it's like a flavored alcohol seltzer. It's like White Claw right. on crack. That's how I would explain it. Like, if there's White Claw, which is like 4%, they have Strong Zero, which is a lot more flavorful, and it's like 9 or 12%. Oh, damn. So, so a couple of those. That stuff hits you in a hurry. <laughs> You'll drink one or two of them. You're like, oh, I'm okay. And then next thing you know, you're completely blacked out after like <laughs> six of them. It's well, it's a wild ride. Oh, that sounds uh, like a lot of fun and maybe horrific at the same time but uh, yeah you know the white claws you got to suck down quite a few of those so about maybe two or threes it's all two or three of these things you're talking about it's all over oh man strong zero will end you <laughs> better, better make sure you're eating uh, with it right hell yeah <laughs> oh so uh you know other than eating and stuff in japan when you know before pandemic uh what was some fun stuff you do you did you travel around see the sites things like that of course, you know, I went around to see the sky tree again. Um, I spent some time in Zushi Beach in Yokohama. This was like during the pandemic, you know, in the summer, everything opened back up. 
So we were out there. We, you know, for wrestling-related purposes, we would travel to Osaka, Sendai. We would travel to Nagoya. And just going around Tokyo, you know, Shinjuku, Shibuya, all these places, they're so full of life, bustling with people. And there's just so much to do and so much to see everywhere. I absolutely love Tokyo. Mm. So then, you know, this pandemic hit and, uh, you know, how did it affect life in, in Japan? You know, I'm sure you know how it affected here. We kind of shut down. People didn't listen. We still got problems, you know, but uh, was was Japan different? Did they kind of like just do the things they needed to do? And it's more, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, the, the pandemic's not quite as strong right now there. Well, in comparison to the United States, of course, it's nowhere near to, you know, in comparison to the United States. But Japan originally, from March until late June, had the state of emergency. But, like, things didn't shut down per se. There was still a lot of places that were open but, you know, like, clubs and movie theaters and, like, bars, all that stuff was closed. And now there's another state of emergency, but compared to the one that happens in March where pro wrestling events were not allowed to be held right now, pro wrestling events are allowed to be held, but they have to finish by 8 p.m. And the same thing is with bars and restaurants. They're allowed to open, but they have to close by 8 p.m. So that's pretty much the control with the coronavirus that's going on in japan um everybody wears masks over there so that's not really an issue and that's about it <laughs> so it just kind of just people are kind of taken in stride kind of uh, unlike here where a piece of the population doesn't want to you know wear masks or you know comply to, to to help their fellow uh human being and uh so it's good to hear that that's going on over there. So, uh, you know, speaking of you were coming back to New York, how was the getting on a flight, you know, uh, from Japan to uh, New York? Uh, were they taking the precautions there on the flight and all that kind of things? Yeah, our flights didn't have that many people on it. So, you know, pretty much everyone got like three seats to spread out to themselves or something like that. Um. Yeah, like, everyone wears masks in the flights. They didn't do temperature checks, but you did have to have a negative COVID test to enter America starting January 26th, which was the day that I came back. So that's about it. They had me provide mega tests, and then they just let me on the plane, and they told me to wear a mask. So you got that test before you left Japan? Yes. Oh, okay. So you had that document when you uh, when you landed in, uh, in America, and so they were just like, all right. So you didn't have to quarantine for any amount of time. Well, if I had landed in New York, I would have been forced to quarantine, but I currently fly in and out of Newark just oh. for the sake of staying away from New York City and its bullshit rules. So, <laughs> yeah, I flew into Newark. Every time that I've been on a flight so far coming from Japan or coming from wherever in America. All right. So, you know, um, you know, I'm going to get into some, uh, wrestling here, but I'd like to hear a little history from you. Like, uh, where are you originally, uh, where are you born and raised? I was born and raised, well, in Moscow, Russia, but also spending a lot of time in New York city. So I would travel between being in New York and being in Russia all the time, like my entire childhood, pretty much every year up until this pandemic happened. Okay. So you grew up around there. Uh, you know, what was it like growing up around there? What kind of kid were you, were you into like, uh, were you like into sports or, you know, video games, uh, you know, any kind of other stuff, choir, music, what was your thing? Uh, you know, maybe junior high and up. Well, my dad thought video games were going to make me dumb, so he didn't really <laughs> let me play those that much, only a little bit. Um, I grew up, you know, uh, being a huge fan of wrestling all the time and, like, a super athlete. I did, like, a million sports when I was a kid. I, you know, I did track and field in high school. I did swimming in high school. I did equestrian sport for a long time. Um I played tennis, I played, I mean, I did gymnastics, I danced. Like, I honestly, <laughs> the second I fell in love with wrestling, I always was doing something in my mind to prepare myself for wrestling, like weightlifting and then CrossFit. 
So it sounds like so even my life before wrestling was revolved around one day being a wrestler. Well, it sounds like that you were like gaining all these um, all these tools to make it kind of maybe even easier when you decided to hit that wrestling uh, part, right? Absolutely. So you were doing. Uh, you said you did. You were dancing, and what else was it? There was a lot, but you know the main ones was it weightlifting, CrossFit, track and field, swimming, uh, equestrian sport. What was kind of your uh, favorite thing that you really excelled in, or was it all? Uh, I was really good at swimming and long jump and track, but my favorite, if not for wrestling, would be equestrian sport. You know, if for some reason I couldn't wrestle anymore, I would definitely be doing something with horses again. And at uh, when you're in like uh, junior high, high school, was there wrestling for uh, like collegiate for females at that point for you in those schools? There was not, unfortunately. And by the time that there was a men's wrestling team that, you know, I would have been able to join in because I would have forced my principal to let me anyways. <laughs> uh, you know, I was already training for pro wrestling and I just didn't have the time for it anymore. Oh, okay. So you were already... Uh... On to that. So, you know, let me, let me just ask that, man. Uh, you know, when did it first hit you, uh, pro wrestling? When did you first see this thing? Uh, was it TV? Did a family member show you? Uh, what was it? You know, I was really young. I was like three or four years old. And, you know, we were flipping the channels. And I guess my mom just flipped onto, like, whatever channel wrestling was on at the time. <laughs> And I watched it for like, I was like, mom, like, stop, I want to watch this. And like five minutes later, I was just so enamored by it that I, I told my mother, I was like, I'm going to be a wrestler. Like, I just knew from then on that that was my calling. And I never really strayed from that. And do you remember what the uh, first wrestling that uh, you were watching, what came on? Do you remember what it was at that point? Or was it just kind of like wrestling and then you kind of just moved on from there i don't remember who was wrestling i know for sure that it was smackdown all right so some uh wb smackdown then and uh so from there you 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 said you loved it uh did you um did your mom kind of turn it on each week for you did you kind of look through the the tv guide or the you know the the tv venue on the tv then and uh, see when it was going to be on again I think we had figured out that it, you know, it was on whatever day that it was on and whatever time, like we had narrowed it down and I would always be like, we need to go home and watch wrestling. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's kind of what it was. I was always like, no, we need to go watch wrestling. And I was just obsessed with it. Uh, I was also as a kid taking uh, MMA and like karate classes. So I would always be like, hey, this is preparing me for wrestling, also. And man, you sound like a a, a young badass. I mean, you're like you're watching wrestling, you're you're training for MMA and uh, Ultimate Fighting and things like that. Uh, so, um, you know, who were some of the wrestlers that maybe stood out to you as you started watching uh, for a little while? As a fan, you know, purely from an entertainment standpoint. Um, the Undertaker was like always my favorite as a kid. I definitely liked Shawn Michaels and Rey Mysterio. And then I saw Chris Benoit and I found him to be very relatable in some sense. And that, you know, became, he, he became like a big inspiration for me as a kid and also as a wrestler years later. Oh man, I, I like all those, uh, people you're, uh, just mentioning there. And, uh, even, you know, Chris Benoit, you know, it, it, there's the whole other thing, but anyway, I try to separate the two, man. Chris Benoit as a performer back on, uh, a nitro and WWE, you know, he, he was amazing. He was, um, he, I was almost before his time. He, he was an amazing wrestler. And then, uh, you know, you mentioned Shawn Michaels and then undertaker also like taker finally, you know, retiring, uh, as a fan of Taker, how was that, uh, for you finally seeing after, you know, however many years he's been wrestling after that, uh, WrestleMania match last time, he finally, uh, decided to hang it up. Um, it's pretty crazy because, you know, growing up, 
watching The Undertaker and also just, like, knowing the history and knowing that, like, The Undertaker, you know, had been around, like, always been around for the last, what, like, 30, 40 years or something. (laughs) There's been so many generations, and I'm one of those generations who grew up watching The Undertaker and finally witnessing his retirement was kind of surreal, but, you know, it was also kind of, like, a good moment. Bittersweet, I guess I would say, but... You know, God bless him and all of his endeavors. And the man honestly gave so much to the wrestling business and to so many fans throughout the years. Oh, he's, you know, since I was a young lad, even, uh, you know, seeing him come up and, you know, those early 90s there, you know, whatever it was coming on. And the Undertaker character kind of um, came aboard. It was just amazing. And it's just been the ultimate ride of a wrestler. There was times you're like, oh, man, he should give it up. And then he kind of. You know, he kind of came back those that last year or so and kind of made uh, made some great stuff going on, and I, I, I'm glad for him. And uh, I really like that series they had on the WD Network all about him, that uh, last ride or whatever it was. Did you get a chance to check that out? I didn't. I've been so busy, but I'm sure I'll get to it at some point. Oh, if you're a Taker fan, you'll uh, you'll love it. But anyway, um, you know. Coming up, learning about wrestling, wanted to be a wrestler. Uh, did you get to go to any uh, a live events before you decided you were going to be a wrestler? I actually went. I didn't go to any WWE live events until I was like well into my wrestling training. But I did go to several indie shows oh. when I was a teenager to watch wrestling. And those were some really cool experiences for sure. And uh, what, do you remember what the uh, the indie shows were, some of the people you saw on those that really inspired you? Absolutely. I, the first one I went to was on October 29th of 2010, and it was ICW New York, okay. where I got to see, there was a bunch of people, but I know Gangrel and like Amazing Red, who, by the way, I would end up training with years later, <laughs> a decade later, you know, um, I got to see those people there. And then we would go, me and my friends would go to Pro Wrestling Syndicate in New Jersey to see, you know, people like Sammy Callahan, Scott Steiner was there. Uh, Once again, Amazing Red. (laughs) And it's pretty cool because I've run into some of those people in locker rooms later down the line and been like, hey, I literally have seen you as a fan. And now we're sharing a locker room. So that's cool. Oh, that must be a great feeling for you, you know. Once you were a fan watching these people, and now, you know, you're in the room with them. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, after seeing it, live events, seeing those indie shows, watching, you know, your mom flip it on, um, you know, you decided it sounded like it as a young a- at a young age that you wanted to start being a pro wrestler. That's correct. And uh, when did that... Uh, start to happen for you how did you find well first of all what did your family think of this when you told your family and then uh how did you find training so i started training when i was 16 years old and uh, you know my family thought i was crazy and they probably still do (laughs) but they knew that there was no talking out of it and it was going to happen one way or another So I pretty much just Googled schools in New York City for wrestling. And I found, like, the top two results were House of Glory and uh, the World of Unpredictable Wrestling run by Johnny Rods. And that's where I decided to start training. And after, you know, I spoke to him, my parents spoke to him, we we signed up, and then that's how I started training. And that happened on... November 22nd of 2014. And is there rules as a a 16 year old trying to start wrestling? Like your parents had to actually sign off on that. My parents definitely have to like sign, you know, sign off on it. And I wasn't allowed to wrestle on a show until I was 18, but I was allowed to train. So, you know, I pretty much took up the, the duties of the young girl, just training and then coming to shows and helping out. All right, so how did that go? You show up on uh, day one, you walk in the door of the wrestling school, and, uh, you know, did people look at you weird because, you know, you're, first of all, female, or, you know, you're 16, or, you know, anything like that? How did you feel walking in there? 
you know, I'm sure other people had opinions about me being 16 and a female. To me, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel intimidated or anything like that. I just knew that I was going to get in that ring. You know, I didn't know if I was going to be successful in wrestling, but I knew that I was going to get in there and I was going to give it my absolute best shot. And I knew that I loved this and I was just really excited to start, you know? And how did uh, day one go? Did, you know, did you jump in there right away? You you were like learning the, the, whatever they were teaching at the time. I don't know how that stuff goes, but uh, were you, were you ready on day one or was it just like a kind of a blur? Were you in pain after day one? You know, I just got in there and I would do whatever I was told to do. And I don't recall being in any kind of like pain or, you know, I had having already been an athlete and still at the time being an athlete in high school, I was in pain from like track and field, which was probably 10 times the torture that I've ever experienced in wrestling. But yeah, I was just happy to be there and happy to be training. And I knew that every day I was going to come back and just keep giving it everything I had because wrestling is my one great love in, in life. And it always has been. So I was just honored at the fact that I could finally be in a ring and I was allowed into that world and I was allowed to start my journey. So, uh, the trainers, uh, mentors, uh, or friends, uh, who were those people that really, uh, you know, got you going when you came in there? Obviously Johnny Roz was always, you know, he was the head trainer. He was the one that we would always talk to about everything. Uh, the corner man, Juan Jeremy, definitely had a huge hand in training me ever since, you know, day one up until I don't even know whenever I stopped being there. And even still, we always stay in contact. It just in, in WW, everyone kind of taught each other. We, you know, Johnny Rods would call it the wheel. You learn, you pass it on, you learn, you pass it on. So we were all just generally teaching each other shit. And that was that family, that brotherhood that I don't know if people get to experience anymore. And I really hope that they do because it was something really special. So did you think it really helped starting at um, 16 years old and not be able to have a match until you're 18? You got basically a couple of years of training in before you stepped in a ring in front of a big crowd or, or a, a crowd or anything, right? It definitely was extremely helpful. You know, I mean, I was still the shits when I started, <laughs> but I was less the shits than if I would have done it a month in. And I believe it's good. It builds character to actually earn it and to hone your craft and to really love and appreciate it instead of just being given it from day one like it's your right because it's not. So how's that work? You know, you've been training for two years. You've hit 18. Uh, do the trainers finally say, okay, you're old enough now. We're having this show, blah, 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 blah. How did that first uh, show come along for you? Well, my story is a little bit different because when I was still 17, we had scouts from Japan mm. who were coming in and, you know, they were training with us. They were watching us and all this other stuff. And at some point within, like, I believe it was January, for anywhere from January to, like, March, I don't know. But somebody like Johnny Rods and some other coaches had led on to me that the Japanese people were interested in bringing me over to Japan. And obviously I said, hey, this is not a question of yes or no, it's a yes, but when? And they wanted me to have an exhibition match before I had turned 18 because they wanted to hire me immediately. So I pretty much just had to get a fake ID. And I had this one exhibition match on a show. You know, it was like a tag match. And as soon as I graduated high school, as soon as I turned 18, two weeks later, I had arrived in Tokyo and that was going to be my debut for Reina Pro Wrestling, having just turned 18, already debuting in Tokyo. So you were, so you've been training for a while. You were 17, you had an exhibition match. And then, um, two weeks later, you're jumping off a plane in Tokyo, ready to go and hit some shows. 
yep, that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> and how'd that go for you, man? You like, you showed up, was everyone like, you know, Hey, yeah, come on in. Or, you know, was it kind of tough cause you were the new person or, you know, how was the experience uh, showing up there the first time, uh, you know, only really having one match. It was, it was a great experience because, you know, even though I was new and nobody knew me, obviously everyone was just accepting of me and they were like, Hey, you know, obviously she's here to do her job. So, you know, they just threw me head first into doing shows and I was super happy about it because there was really nothing else I'd rather be doing. <laughs> and I got to live in Japan for a month and a half, which was, you know, super cool. That was like my first life experience outside of high school was living in Tokyo, which is completely crazy. You know, who else can say that they did that at 18 years old and, and you you're know, there. All are paid and it's your job. So you're getting paid to be there. And you're there without your parents, right? You're by yourself. Yeah, of course. They don't hire your parents when they hire you. Exactly. Exactly. But that's cool. Like 18 years old, you're by yourself in Japan wrestling you know making a couple bucks for yourself that must just be like so just an amazing feeling that you had it was such an amazing feeling i enjoyed it so much and you know as you know i had obviously been able to go back and i just continue to enjoy it every single time i'm there so you know jumping into those matches you know for the first time you only had that one match well speaking of that how did you feel about that uh, exhibition match that you had before you went over there? How were your nerves? How did it go? Were you confident as hell? You sound like just a very confident person. You know, I don't generally get nervous before my matches. Like, it's all, in my mind, it's all about controlling your mind and your emotions. So I do a lot of you know, mental tricking myself and I always have, but I don't allow myself to get nervous. I allow myself to get ready. So if I know that I'm prepared, I'll make sure that I'm prepared, then I'm just ready to go off and that it was the same at day one and it's the same at day, whatever the hell it is now. <laughs> and, you know, um, jumping into all those, uh, matches in Japan, did you come across, you know, were you, you were probably wrestling just about everyone, veterans, people like yourself that were just starting? I mean, did were you treated okay on those shows? I was treated good. You know, obviously I have had some encounters with people who have tried it on with me. You know, if it's a veteran, you just kind of have to let it happen. And if it's one of the young girls, you give them a good old hard slap and wake them the hell up. <laughs> and I've been on all the ends of all the spectrums of that. And, you know, everything is a lesson and everything is a test. And you have to treat it as such. So what were your, you know, maybe some of your favorite matches, maybe some of your favorite opponent, opponent excuse me, um, of your time over there in Japan? Oh, there were so many. Um, obviously wrestling, you know, Chigusa Nagayo and Takumi Roha in one match because we had a tag match. That was really awesome. I absolutely loved when I teamed up with Meiko Satomura to face Ryo Mizunami and Kaoru. That was a very fun match. Um, our work that we did on Assemble, it was a six-man match. That was so great. You know, I could go on and on. Like, <laughs> There's been so many matches, and I love all of them. Even just working singles with the girls from Marvelous, like with May or Mio, is a great freaking time. <laughs> You know, you're having a great time. Is is there some of the the the, the wrestlers over there that really are like, uh, you know, get in your ear and like, you got to really do these things. Check this out while you're here. You know, kind of a mentor a little bit. You know, when it comes to wrestling, everyone in Marvelous was my mentor, and really anywhere else, I would always be trying to learn from whoever that I'm working with at the time. And this is wrestling related, but trying like going out to see the sites in like Tokyo, there's some of the girls who have actually never been to Tokyo. So I would be their tour guide if they went, which is a little crazy to me. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're almost the veteran over there now if anyone comes over, right? Sort of, in a sense. <laughs> <laughs> so um you know, I was asking you about what your uh, favorite opponents and things like that, uh you know, what, what is really your favorite part about being 
a professional wrestler or some of the things? Well, aside from actually wrestling, because, you know, I love wrestling. I love the art. I love the sport. You know, it's everything to me. So aside from that, I would have to say just being able to travel the world is probably the greatest perk of being a wrestler. And it's aside from wrestling, that would have to be my favorite favorite part is the lifestyle of being on the, on the move all the time on the go and just seeing the world, you know, and wrestling's dime for lack of better words <laughs> is the, is the best part of it. So you kind of just enjoying like traveling around, not really setting, you know, you're young, you don't have to just stay put in America or, or Japan. You can kind of just do your own thing and travel around. That's gotta be such an amazing thing at your age. What are you uh 22, 23 right now? Yeah, I'm 22. Man, I couldn't even imagine. Like, I've I haven't been probably half the places you've been, and uh, so I'm I'm also jealous right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, we talked about the favorite part and favorite matches and stuff. So what's the hardest part? What's what's the part you just? Oh man, that's really rough on me. You know, in professional wrestling. Um nothing really comes to mind immediately as being like incredibly negative. Um, you know, even traveling, like people get tired of that. I honestly don't. I just, I enjoy traveling so much living out of a suitcase. Even I don't need much and I'm totally cool with having like, you know, a couple of pairs of things and just going, I guess it's, the hardest thing is if you do get injured and then just like having to step away from wrestling to heal and get better is the worst part because being away from it any moment is a moment too long. Have you had any uh, injuries that have kind of kept you out? You said during training and stuff, you weren't uh, having any of that kind of stuff. You were good. But oh, since- man, like during training and wrestling, like I've had, so, I've had so many injuries, but unless it's serious, I refuse to let it keep me out. I'll find a way to work around it and to continue wrestling. Um, I did have an injury like a couple years ago, several, I don't know, it was a while that kept me away from wrestling for a while. And that was very challenging because without like wrestling and training and everything, it was hard because there was kind of like no life for me. Everything was just really boring and basic and I hated every fucking second of it. So did you just basically, you know, hide yourself away during this injury? Yeah, essentially I just totally stepped away and then I just came back like and nothing ever happened. Mm-mm-mm. So yeah, I was like, kind of looking through your matches here on uh, cagematch.net, you know, and uh, I, I did see you had a couple matches in uh, Impact Wrestling back in uh, the summer of uh, 2019. And uh, how did that go for you? It looked like you took on Havoc one night and uh, Jordan Grace one night. Uh you know, how was it wrestling for Impact Wrestling? It was really great. I definitely enjoyed my time working with Impact Wrestling. You know, it was one of those things where you just show up with your bag and you get an opportunity and then you get called back. And that's what happens. You know, which goes to show you have to be ready at any moment, every single moment. Um, I would definitely take another opportunity at Impact if it was given to me. And... You know, here we are. <laughs> oh, man. And, uh, you know, um, so, t- you know, you recently came back to New York and I uh, kind of wrote down some stuff here. You had some recent matches that, uh, you know, your first match, it looked like back in uh, America was the one at uh, Fight Forever at JC, or excuse me, GCW, uh, the 18-person elimination match. And I was just watching that back earlier today. That was really a lot of fun watching. But uh, that's got to be hard, jumping in a match that's 18 people and eliminations. and uh, But it looked like you were having a hell of a time, though. Uh, that is correct. That was my first match back. And I definitely had so much fun working Fight Forever because... The more people there are in the ring, the more faces I have to punch inside out, and the more people I have to fight. Which, as you see, you watch the match. I think I did a rather good job whipping those girls' asses. Oh, you were whipping a lot of people's asses in that one. It uh, it was great. Uh, I remember having it on that day, kind of coming in and out of it, and then uh, rewatching that. Man, that was really uh, 
a lot of fun. That had to be a, how fun was that? Your first match back in, you're kicking ass. There's 18 other people in that. Uh, that had to be a blast. It was super fun. It was a blast. And to be able to come back from Japan and immediately jump in to fight forever and make history was an amazing feeling, you know, that I, that I was very happy that I got the opportunity to be a part of that. Is that hard to do? Like, you know, you're mostly singles or maybe tag or whatever. And all of a sudden you have to kind of work with, you know, two sides of nine people or whatever it was. Is, is, is it difficult? Um, it's not really difficult because especially in Japan, I have to be ready to like do whatever. You never know what the hell kind of match it's going to be or anything they're going to ask. So when they told me it was going to be 18 people, I was like, oh, cool. Another opportunity to do something that probably hasn't been done before or I don't know, but it was pretty awesome nonetheless. And I was prepared for it. Oh, it was a. Really a lot of fun, and then, uh, you know, it looks like you've had a couple other matches uh, since you've been back uh, here, and then uh, one, uh, there was a title change in it, wasn't it? Uh, GSW, Soul for Syndicate title? Yes, the Soul of Syndicate championship. Um, I was actually the inaugural champion. There has not been another Soul of Syndicate champion, so I'm the first and only person to hold that belt so far. <laughs> and that looks like that is that at the monster factory that they do a lot of the big training in and there was a show uh tj uh, what's that guy's name they did a show there it's on amazon right now about that whole uh, place i'm not too sure what's going on i know the monster factory is definitely a very good facility for training and for having shows in I've taken some seminars in the facility prior to wrestling there, you know, can't like, it's a great place. Can't say anything about it aside from that. <laughs> Danny cage definitely runs a tight ship. And then, uh, you know, I was kind of looking over your, um, your social media a little bit and, uh, you got this, uh, thing that's on top of your, uh, Facebook and your, um, and your Twitter, man, this, uh, what am I trying to say here? Uh, you know, this video package of uh, JFK, your nation has failed you, I'm coming. I really love this video package. Uh, how did this come together? Did you make this yourself, or did someone help you with this? Let me assure you that I literally cannot even use my cell phone by myself without <laughs> an adult present. So that video was made for me by Gorilla Press. You can find them uh, on YouTube at Gorilla Press. You can find them on Twitter, Instagram at press underscore YT. They were kind enough and talented enough to make that video for me. Without them, that would have never happened. So big shout out to Gorilla Press for that awesome video package. Oh man, I'm pulling it up right now and it's just a lot of fun seeing yourself you know, JFK kind of talking over it, seeing him and, uh, you know, really living the, uh, the Russian American kind of, uh, rivalry there. And, uh, I really love it. I thought that was great. Thank you. I'm glad you also enjoyed that video. <laughs> I very much enjoyed it, but, uh, you know, we talked about some of your matches since returning, um, you know, you also had one against, uh, looks like Black Widow just this, uh, Saturday night, which was my wife's birthday, by the way. Um, well, happy birthday. <laughs> and, uh, looks like it was a phenomenal match. A lot of people are putting this match over, uh, on social media, man. So, uh, tell us about that match, how it went, uh, your competitor, Black Widow, and, uh, how fun was that? It went really well. I was very happy with the match and you know i would love to wrestle black widow again anywhere and everywhere you know she had to uh she had to take the l there because <laughs> masha slamovich was not coming to play games and i was not coming to be defeated coming from japan so that's all i've got to say about that oh. if anyone hasn't seen if anyone hasn't seen what i'm capable of go take a look and i'll make you see Hey, I've watched uh, quite a few of your matches on YouTube and uh, IWTV and uh, Fight TV. And, uh, man, you're just kicking asses. And, and uh, you know, 
the best to you. I hope uh, soon maybe you'll get a shot at uh, one of these uh, major companies because uh, when I see you, you're just as good as any of these uh, folks that are on those shows right now. I'm not trying to kiss your ass or anything. Just based on a uh, wrestling fan, I really love your work. Thank you so much. It makes me very happy to hear that. And, uh, you know, we tried to hook this up a lot of times. I just want to thank you so much for coming on here tonight and, uh, you know, talking some wrestling with me. That's what I like to do, kind of introduce you to the folks here in the Pacific Northwest that, uh, you know, kind of watch you on uh, GCW shows or new or on the Japan shows and things like that. So, uh, you know, thank you for coming on tonight. But before we head out here tonight, uh, hey, do you have any merch out there for the fans that uh, they can find? Oh, do I? I have, first of all, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Masha Slamovich, which is where I have all of said merch for sale. Um, I have 8x10s, I have pins, I have phone charms available through me. You can contact me about that, like I said, on Instagram and on Twitter. Also, if you sign up for my Patreon at Patreon. Uh, dot com forward slash Masha Slamovich, you will get discounts on merchandise and sometimes even free merchandise depending on what tier you join. And of course, I have a pro wrestling tees.com forward slash Masha Slamovich where I have all of my t shirts available. I just released a new t shirt earlier last month, so go check that out. Well, I'll be going over to check those out. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know. Any upcoming shows or appearances that are scheduled here in the next uh, couple weeks, month or so? Um, on February twentieth, GSW is having a show. You can contact. You can check out the GSW page on Instagram and on Twitter uh, and Facebook. That would be Global Syndicate Wrestling. Once again, the show's in two weeks. It's in New Jersey. Come through and see me defend my championship. And the rest will be announced. Oh, actually, on February 27th, I will also be in Texas uh, for New Texas Pro at Astroworld. It's going to be me versus Vert Vixen, and I really hope she's preparing for that match. Mm, mm, mm. I cannot wait uh, wrestling like that. I hope uh, things starting to clear up, get some more wrestling shows going on as a People get their immunizations and people get kind of things cleaned up, you know, and things like that. But, uh, hey, if uh, people want to book you for some other up-and-coming shows, how do they get a hold of you? Um, once again, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Masha Slamovich. You can also contact my Facebook page also at Masha Slamovich. I'm very responsive on all my social media for all booking inquiries. My email is also anhosine at gmail.com, which can be found on all my social media. And you can contact me there for booking uh, regards. <laughs> and Masha, thanks so much for coming on tonight. Before I let you go, any final thoughts you want to tell the folks out there that are fans of you before I let you go? I just want to say I appreciate all of my fans so much. You know, I... I wouldn't be able to do what I do if it wasn't for the fans, especially anybody who's listening who happened to be at Mission Pro Wrestling. I specifically want to thank all the fans there because those fans really made me remember how wonderful it is to have fans in the audience and being able to interact with them <laughs> and how much we should all appreciate our fans because they make our job, you know, what it is. And if it wasn't for the fans, we wouldn't be here doing what we do. So... Thank you guys for all of your continued support and please continue to support me on all of my social media and that shows upcoming. All right, Masha. Thanks so much for coming on tonight. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, we tried to hook this up. Like I said earlier, since you were in Japan, I had to reschedule so many times. So uh, I appreciate you coming back and uh, giving us the time tonight and uh, let us uh, hear your story here out on this uh, coast. And maybe uh, our promoters out here can, uh, get you booked out here and then we can uh, see you kick some ass out here. I would absolutely love for that to happen. So if anybody in the Northwest is running or anything of such sort, I am available for bookings. Please contact me because I am 100% ready to travel and wrestle. 
<laughs> and if you get out here, we'll take you and have some world-class nachos at my sponsorship. But anyway, Masha, have a good night, and uh, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you another time. Thank you so much. This episode recorded at the Bigfoot headquarters. This has been a Swagamore production production.